This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The latest news about the possible liquidation of Sears department stores highlighting the problems of brick-and-mortar retail. There's a solution for some of these businesses that perhaps they haven't even considered. Employees can be one of the most valuable assets to any store. They're the ground force that greets and serves the customer. Retail stores succeeded in decades past because companies trained their workers about products so that they could provide valuable information to shoppers, which in most cases would lead to a sale. But this type of training has gone away as these companies have trimmed costs to protect their bottom line. A new report looks at why retailers should st- uh, stop thinking of staff as expendable and invest in training them. Sergey Nitesin is a professor of innovation and entrepreneurship here at the Wharton School. He joins us in studio along with his colleague Santiago Galino, who's an assistant professor of operations, information and decisions, and Marshall Fisher, professor of operations, information and decisions. They all uh, together worked on this, uh, on this report. Gentlemen, great to have you in studio. Thank you for coming in today. Thank, Thank you. you for having Good us. to be here, Dan. Thank you. Uh, so, Sergey, start out with with the the want to look at this aspect of retail specifically as obviously an important factor of of some of the losses that retail is dealing with over the last few years. Well, um, I, I think if you look at the last year, it has been some of the probably the harshest year on retailers. Lots of them went bankrupt. Some of them closed hundreds and thousands of stores. And most of them are citing uh, competition from online retail as the biggest culprit, you know, Amazon and such. Um, and, and one thing that you have to realize is that uh, physical retailers still have a fundamental advantage over any online retailer. That is, they have a, an actual person who can talk to you, explain nature of the product, explain pricing, uh, give you advantages and disadvantages, and generally guide you in uh, your purchase. And we've done uh, research on that. We looked at what people care about when they come to a physical store, and inevitably in how knowledgeable employees are comes out as number one. I, I find it interesting, Marshall, because when you go to certain stores, not all, but but certain stores, it's very hard to even find a person on the floor to even ask a question of these days. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you do in that case is if there's a competitor down the street, you walk out, you go to the competitor. Um, you know, I was fascinated by your Jaguar story because it fits what we see with retailers as well. What does a company do when they have revenue problems? cut cost. Yeah. What's the cost you cut? People. Retailers do the same thing. Uh, their, regular, their top line sags, so they cut people in the stores, which is easy to do. You can do it overnight. You, they're part-timers. Instead of Mary and Joe coming in for 20 hours next week, come in for 10. Uh, but cutting cost is okay if you're cutting fat, but if you're cutting muscle, that does more harm than good. So we and we see this in the data that we analyze. They'll cut people to save expense, and every dollar they're saving on the payroll line, they're losing maybe four dollars yeah. of revenue and and two dollars in gross margin. So, in an effort to protect their bottom line, they're actually hurting their bottom line. So it doesn't seem like Santiago that there's even a recognition in general by retail of the problem that they have somewhat created by going away in many cases from doing the training, which ends up being a valuable asset to the people that are working on these floors. 
Yeah, I think like Marshall was suggesting many times, the, the easy way out is to cut costs before thinking about the consequences down the road, especially like you're highlighting if these companies have invested in training and these are employees that have uh, the possibility to bring sales and their muscle, not they're, they're not fat to the organization. So I think that the the the... the the ideas that we share in, 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 in the article and that we have sustained with our research is that you can actually look at your individual stores, not think about the whole chain, and take actions that will cut where it needs to be cutted. And sometimes you will find that your staffing levels are correct, and sometimes you need to add. You need to add because that's going to bring uh, a net benefit to, to, to the organization. And I think that in, in, in the same spirit, I think the, the, the investment that you can make in training can be thought as a cost and money that is going out. But if you can see that that training comes back and more in, in, in additional sales, that's good. I find it interesting, Sergey, in that we are in a, in a time of big data and so many decisions on a daily basis are made because of the data that is out there right now. And this almost feels like here's a situation where there is data available on the correlation between the loss of training and the impact of sales on the floor, and retailers aren't using the available data to understand that this could be a way to be able to to boost sales. Uh, exactly, and that's exactly what we leverage. We leverage big data in, in our project. Uh, we were fortunate uh, to work with um, Experticity and, and Dillard's, and, and they shared this data with us. Uh, we were able to track sales by person, and that's one big mistake that many retailers make. They don't really attribute sales to a particular salesperson. Right. Um, and we were able to track uh, how many training modules they took. And in, and in this case, training modules were online modules, which employees took in their free time. This was not, uh, this did not really cost uh, anything or, or much to the company. And so we were able to see how these training modules that they take translate into sales they make. And, and we were, um, I, I think we were surprised by how big this impact is. How rare is it right now in the companies that you have talked with to have training just in general? It's very rare. And the big reason is, one, uh, there is a huge turnover in retail. And so uh, when the retailers think about training, they're like, well, why, why waste our money and time when this person is going to leave probably in, in three or six months, right? And another problem is, of course, it's costly, right? It, typically, retailers think about, uh, you know, taking people away from their jobs and hiring someone to do this training. And, you know, we've, we are beyond that now. Our, our education industry is being disrupted by online training and there is no reason why other industries cannot use online training so that's what we studied but it is interesting Marshall because when you think of retail and maybe certain sectors of retail like clothing stores and such there is still a want of the consumer and I guess to a degree maybe even this happens with with uh, with stores that are you know selling electronics that people want to go in and they want to see the product or if it's a clothing store they still would like to feel the product or 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 try it on so there's an element where the retailers can build themselves back up if they have the right people, if those people have the right knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And they also want to make an intelligent choice between the different product variants that are out there. And so products have lots of attributes. You go in to buy a computer, you want to understand um, things that affect performance versus price. Uh, experticity 
the listeners may not have heard of, a very interesting company. Um, they were uh, originally engaged, I think, by North Face. Why? Well, North Face would invest a lot in developing innovative, great products. Okay? Right. They put them out there in the store, and they had worked hard to make a product that was better than the competition. All that got nullified in the store if the sales associate couldn't explain the differences between North Face and other products. So, so they engaged Experticity to make videos about their products. Yeah. Now they have, I don't know, hundreds of brands. But the brands want sales associates to tell a story about their product. They're their agent in the store. So they're willing to pay uh, yeah. for training tools. So it, it, Dillard's didn't have to pay a penny for all, all the training. People did it on their own time. And I'm wondering, uh, Santiago, if there is a generational element to this from the consumer side as well. Because if you think about the baby boomer generation, they have that expectation of when they were younger of having a lot of people on the floors, uh, of people you know, having this information, of having this mindset of helping the consumer. I'm wondering if millennials and Gen Z don't even have that expectation anymore because of all of the online shopping that they do. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. And what what I've been hearing from retailers is that they see that the physical presence need to become more experiential. And if you ask me, I think that this is only going to make the problem more severe. Because if you want to give customers a good experience going to go to the store, that this goes beyond knowledge about facts of the product. It's like being engaged, being greeting the customer, learning how to interact with him or her. I think that all these things need to be trained. So, so I, I don't think that the, the problem is going away by the demands of the new generation that I agree with you are, are evolving. It's only going to get more and more relevant that you want to have people in the floor, the right number, yes, but they're also knowledgeable and knowledgeable on what the customer wants. And in sometimes this is going to be uh, knowledge about the products. But sometimes it's going to be knowledge about the company, knowledge about what I can do with this uh, gadget that you're offering, how I can post this online. And I think that the the component of the customer requiring knowledgeable employees is, is only going to increase. Part of that also, that experience goes to the store itself and how that store is presented. And thinking of you know some of the, the, the companies that I talked about earlier where their holiday sales are concerned, Target sales were, were up significantly this past holiday season. Target had just gone through a huge remodel of a lot of their stores. Macy's sales, the Kohl's sales, their store sales were very low in compared to a year ago, and they really haven't done a whole lot with their stores themselves. Yep. You know, Dan, maybe we can in- insert one point here is, you know, why don't people spend more on training because they don't know what the value is. Right? So we've been talking qualitatively about you know, schmoozing with the customer more. But what does that translate into in terms of revenue? You mentioned Target yeah. versus Macy's. And help, help me out, guys, but I, th- I think the impact on revenue, which we measured in this study, was staggering. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So what we found was that a person that spent uh, about an hour on training uh, a month, uh, the the expected earning, uh, expecting revenue from that employee uh, should be around six percent up for that month. So that that's a huge number. Yeah, six you know, percent. If you if you have, I mean, relevant content, 
for a particular sales employee, spend an hour of their, his or her own time, yeah. the revenue for that employee on average increased around 6%. Only one hour, which yeah, when you think about it, it's not a significant out uh, a layout for the company to to have an employee spend one hour. Yeah, absolutely. And it's free time. There are down times when there are no employees in the store, right? So it's not like we are taking them off the job, right? They right. can be sitting there on their own mobile phone, you know, listening to a simple online video which uh, teaches you about features of the product. Marshall? You know, I experienced this myself because I um, had to buy um, a rain jacket for backpacking. I go backpacking with my son. Uh, so I went to an independent retailer out in in Wayne, uh, called, I guess, out there. They're a user of experticity. Yeah. So, you know, you want to buy a rain jacket, you care about weight. Uh, is it water repellent? Does Gore-Tex really matter? They could explain all of that. They could lay out, all here are all the different choices you have to make. Um, and at the end of the day, they had a broad assortment. Uh, they explained it well. I could say, okay, I can buy with confidence now. I know that I've, I've seen what's available and I'm making the right choice, and I can walk. And I walked out having made a purchase. That's the value of training. You get a broad assortment. You explain it to the customer, and they know they don't have to go somewhere else because they've picked the best choice for them. So, how much also does this issue deal with? And we've talked about it really in the big box store. But as you just laid out with with the story that you went, uh, right. Marshall, to get a, a, a raincoat, how much does this also differ between the big box store and maybe the smaller? maybe not necessarily family store, but a smaller store that may have the resources or have the people or have the want to have that type of training. How, mu how much does that play into this as well, if, you, if, you've looked at your, if you've looked at this in the research? Santiago? Yeah, so, so in, in the research, uh, actually, I mean, we, we, we share most of the results based on Macy's, but we actually have access to other smaller chains that I think resemble what you are referring to. And the results are, are consistent. So the, the training in that case... Uh, have a, a similar impact. Uh, I mean, I think unfortunately, like Sergey mentioned before, they were not tracking uh, individual sales uh, for each one of their sales representative, but the sales in the stores when when the team that was serving the the customers during that day have trained have increased uh, in in a, in a in a similar order of magnitude to what we have seen in dealers. So I think that this translates very well, and we have evidence of that. We have actually looked at it. Sergey? Uh, yeah, so one thing to add, one kind of a surprising thing we found perhaps is that um, when you train store employees on a particular product, it's not that they uh, increase sales of only that product. What right. we found is they actually increase sales across product category. And, and, it, and, and we surveyed employees, we surveyed actually tens of thousands of employees trying to understand what is it exactly that they learn, you know? And, and what we found is that the training gives them overall confidence about the entire line of products because you learn about, you know, a particular jacket and you learn that, you know, weight matters and water repellent matters yeah. and material matters and so on. And that applies very, very generally. So you get this vocabulary that you try to use and then <coughs> customer tends to trust you and they see that you know what you're talking about for the entire category. And then I would think that would also play into the, the repeat customer element if that customer coming in deals with somebody that has that knowledge and purchases that product, that customer is going to want to come back and try and potentially work with that 
that salesperson again to do another sale when they have to down the road. Yeah, I think it's it's very plausible. We didn't really look at like a long term impact of uh, this training and on repeat purchases and so on. So I would say the results that we obtained that's a that's a kind of a mi- minimum uh, benefit. There are probably bigger long term implications. You know, again, we we talked a lot about training. You began by the experience we've all had of going into a store and you just can't find anybody to help you. Yeah, right? yeah. So the other thing we looked at in this research is what's the right number of people to have in the store? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I got to believe any retail CFO can do this calculation in their sleep. It's two weeks before you're reporting your quarterly numbers. You're a penny behind on your promise to Wall Street. What do you do? You cut part-time labor in the stores. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you say, well, it's temporary, but it, but then you keep doing it again and again, and, and it's this downward spiral. Um, so you think about why does that happen? I think it's, it's um, business school thinking gone wrong. We talk about manage by the numbers, right? Which is a good idea, except it it leads you to overweight what you can measure, and underweight what you can't. What's harder to measure? Okay. Um, so what you can measure is peril. Yep. You see, that's a big number. I can cut it. And you don't know what impact that's going to have on revenue. So it leads to kind of delusional thinking. What we did was develop this method that you could actually measure the impact of payroll on revenue by looking at the data. And one of the data we looked at was absenteeism. If people don't show up, yeah, that's kind of a little experiment that lets you see the impact. And, and using that, we could fine-tune the right labor level in each store. What do you hope is kind of the lesson learned for for retailers when they start to look at at this research specifically, Santiago? Well, the the first thing I I think is that the retailers, uh, and again, I don't think that they don't don't see this, but I, I would like to think that our research can help emphasize the fact that the employees are huge assets for the for, for for the retailer. That the the, the way to think about them is uh, partners in, in in the success that the company can have going forward, and so being able to train them, retain them, uh, assign them to the right times of the day or the right store uh, throughout the chain uh, is is key to the success of of the company and also for 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 the employees to have a rewarding uh, job. Sergey. Um, so I, I I hope that our methodology can help retailers um, uh, start thinking about uh, sales impact of, of labor. All retailers think about, for example, sales impact of marketing activities. You know, should we put more marketing into, you know, Facebook or newspapers or TV, right? But very very few retailers uh, systematically think about okay, what is a, a value added of an extra dollar. Uh, of labor in a particular store, and in uh-huh. some stores it's negative, in some stores it's a huge positive uh, effect. And and our experience in working with probably dozens of retailers at this point is that over the years they've been cutting, 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 and so there is usually a big impact of adding labor to the store. Marshall, so I would follow up with what, what Sergey says, and you, you can read the paper that's in HBR. To sorry to mention. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I saw the look on your face That's there, right. Dan. Um, but it's a way to measure exactly and determine the right number of people to have in a store. Yeah. Okay. Should yeah. you have six, seven, or eight? Right. Or maybe at eight you're you're overstaffed and you're wasting your payroll, and at six you're understaffed. So this technique of looking at absenteeism 
we can do what Santiago said. We can measure, and what Sergey said, measure the incremental revenue you get from having one more person, one more person, one more person. So a retailer can tune that at each and every store. Are there elements of retail that maybe already that do understand this? And I'm thinking specifically when you think like like the restaurant industry, and they obviously have to be very worried about the numbers of people that they bring in and and what times of the day that they want to bring in. Can you is that is that an industry that maybe does get it a little bit? Uh, it is an industry that faces similar problem, and I worked with several restaurant chains on uh, correctly staffing restaurants. In some ways, issues there are even more exacerbated because you have these peaks of demand, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and you want people to work for two, three, four hours, and then you don't need them, right? right. Uh, so that further exas- exacerbates the issue. Um, and uh, very, very similar uh, techniques apply. So you can actually look at um, uh, pr- productivity of, of labor, and you can see that a certain waiter just brings more value day after day. And, and, and I think you know also training matters there and having the right number of people matters there and so on. So uh, issues are very similar, um, but in particular in, uh, in the studies that we have done, I think retailers have this other issue where you re- need to be really knowledgeable about a very wide spectrum of, of products. In restaurants, that's not so much of an issue. Uh, the menu is typically frozen in time for at least a few months. Right. And so there is this additional element where training about product features becomes very, very important in retail. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't. I, I'm not aware of of, of another industry that I, say, I, I can point to say, oh, they, they, they have this under control. But I, I will agree with Sergey that in the restaurant industry or other places, these these issues uh, are, are 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 also challenging. And and our methodology, both in how to measure the impact of uh, of of training and putting a number behind, like Marshall was saying, not just. Uh, feeling that training is something good and that will actually quantify and measure the impact and also how to allocate uh, staff. Uh, this this can hopefully can be something that, that companies can use and, uh, and apply. But it's also, Marshall, and you touched on it a second ago, it's just the mindset that executives have within the company of if you need, if, you, if you're running up against a particular problem, the first thought is to cut. Right. Rather than to try and build. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's well... It's easy to criticize when you're not in their shoes, and it's totally understandable. Right? I mean, you've, you've got to, at the end of the day, you've got an earnings report. If you're publicly traded, and you've got to think about that. Um, I guess what our research endeavors to bring, we're all quant jocks. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably the biggest quant nerd in the room. <laughs> I plead guilty to that. But, yeah. but you can actually, you mentioned this before, we're living in the age of big data. Retailers have a ton of data. Yeah. You can yep. analyze that data and you can be very um, measured and methodical in how you approach these decisions. So it is emotional, uh, but that's, and the emotion overrides if you don't have data or numbers, but we have a way to analyze the data. And in each store, you can say, do I want five people or six people or seven people? Yeah. That has a huge impact. You know, if the right number is six and you've got five or seven, you're either giving up revenue or you're, or you're wasting payroll dollars. The, the numbers, I think in the re, one of the retailers that we worked with where we found about, 
I guess it was about third, a third of their stores were understaffed. Mm-hmm. Correcting that added 5% plus revenue. I mean, that, you know, we're talking about sure. big, big number. Retailers are yeah. struggling to maintain the top line. And we're talking about things that can add 5% and the staffing training was like 6% for an hour of training. So, I mean, I think the key points are this is a goldmine opportunity for retailers. Great. Yeah. Go ahead, Sandia. Yeah, and the, the, other, uh, the other thing to build on what Marshall is saying, I think that uh, retailer has, I think in that sense, a unique opportunity because they have all the data, they can dig into that data, and then they don't need to jump in and implement this full scale in sure. 2,000 stores. They right. have this unique setting where they can go and test things in 20, 30 stores. That's actually what we did in our study. We didn't jump in and the CFO trust our brilliant uh, machine learning and no, 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 no. He said, well, we're going to test this in a controlled 16 stores. Sure. And then after the confidence was built, the results were what we were expecting. This was rolled out to the whole chain. So I think that retailers have that opportunity to look at the data, test in a meaningful uh, size uh, of stores and then roll it out. Great having you all with us today. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Sergey Netesin from uh, here at the Wharton School, along with Santiago Galino, Marshall Fisher. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.